Now as the kids go, parents, uh, what's the best candy that your kids brought home? They won't hear. Uh, they're not online yet, right? These are young kids. Skittles and chips, man. Skittles and chips. Well, we're into John chapter 3 this week, so if you have a Bible with you, you can open up there. Last week, uh, we were in chapter 2. It makes sense. comes before chapter 3. And, and we saw these two stories in chapter three where in chap- chapter 2, excuse me, where, where Jesus changed the water into wine, and then he went in the temple. And last week, we saw him in Jerusalem during Passover, this like big, massive, regular, annual event that was kind of the, uh, one of the, the pinnacles of the Jewish faith. And he was there in the temple, and he drove out the money changers. And he, he created a whip, and he drove out the animals. And he, he cleansed the temple. And he talked about a day when he would raise the temple back up in three days instead of the 46 years it took to build that building, remember? And he was, he was talking about, of course, his body as the new and better temple. We saw that he was foreshadowing his own death, his own resurrection. He was, he was starting to talk about his own body going to the cross for, for our sins, dying in our place to, to cleanse us, being the once-for-all final sacrifice, so that, in fact, we might end up being a living temple and God could live in our lives. Remember we said that the temple was the place where heaven and earth intersected, where, where God dwelt among his people. And so Jesus was coming to say, listen, I will dwell within each one of you. And then we saw Jesus, we will see Jesus, after he gives his life, he rises again on the third day and is victorious over sin and death for you and me so that we can live a life that's free from the fear of death. We're also cleansed from our sins. We're able to live a new life in light of what the Spirit has done in us. And so what follows those verses that we looked at last week is a couple verses of of transition, the last three verses in chapter 2. And so what we're going to see in the next couple chapters here in chapter 3 and 4 and going on is that Jesus starts to interact with people. He has some very deliberate, longer discourses with people. And so these verses at the end of chapter 2 that we didn't talk about last week that aren't quite in chapter 3 this week are, are really important because they set up these conversations. So let me read them for us. This is John 2, starting at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, remember, that's what we just saw happening, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, that Jesus was doing. But... Jesus, on his part, didn't entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Another way to say this is Jesus knows what we're all like. And he needed no one to bear witness about people for he himself knew what was in people. This is really important for us. Before we get to see Jesus interacting with with Nicodemus today and, and others coming is John is saying, listen, Jesus understands your mess. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. He understands the broken parts. He understands the struggles. He understands the things you've been wrestling with and the things you're trying to overcome but just can't seem to. He looks at us and he knows that we need help. But two, look what he also kind of, John also kind of says here. Jesus knows that it is entirely possible for us to believe in God to believe truths about Jesus, to even believe in the signs that he was doing, to know the scriptures and still be an unbeliever. Here's how we see this. Again, we see Jesus at the the Passover with many others. He says in John chapter 2 for us, 
There were those who were at the Passover, they were practicing their faith, they were observing their religions, they were obeying the Bible, they were obeying the scriptures, they they see Jesus' signs and they believe in his name, but they didn't really see Jesus yet, did they? They saw him as one who was maybe doing some signs, who was providing for some needs, but they didn't totally understand who he was yet. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, this uh, can be us as well. Maybe not every day, maybe not all the time, but let me suggest that all of us, to some degree or another, even if we say we believe, even if we've been following Jesus for decades and decades, we still have some areas of unbelief in our lives. If you've been around Trinity for a while, uh, quite a while ago we did a series called Gospel Fluency, and we talked more about this idea that there is unbelief in our lives. There's areas where we say we believe, but I'm hanging on to this. Jesus, I I trust you with Sunday mornings, but Monday when I go to work, I got to handle that myself. It's an area of unbelief. Jesus, I I trust you as I pray for healing, but I'm going to deal with this other thing. You can handle my spiritual life, but I'm going to deal with my finance. I'm going to deal with school. I'm going to deal with my sexuality. I'm going to deal with everything else, but you you can have this. As I was thinking about this this week and kind of wrestling through this text and and, and these words, I, I, I would suggest that I spent a lot of my life in this category. Now, I, I grew up in a Christian family. We went to church. We went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I went to Christian summer camp, all the things, right? But here's the thing. I, I knew some stuff. I was familiar with a good number of the stories. I'd even probably memorized a few verses, especially the short ones, because it's summer camp. You know, if you get tagged and capture the flag, you've got to recite a verse to get out of jail, right? So I knew at least a couple of verses. And I could sort of find my way through the Bible. And so when it was convenient for me, I was a believer. But when it was maybe less convenient, when it might uh, cost me a little bit more to stand up for my faith, when my, my friends started going a different direction or doing certain things or whatever else, my actions actually showed as I went with them that I was not a believer. I didn't actually believe that Jesus was enough because I followed my friends. My actions showed that I I didn't actually believe that he was enough because uh, I still went looking for acceptance and meaning and purpose and value in other things, whether it was sports or relationships or money or friends or stuff or whatever. See, I knew the stuff. I knew some stuff, but I wasn't transformed from it. Now, I am absolutely still a work in progress, and I am glad that God is not done with me yet, but it wasn't for me at least until about age 19 or 20 or so where I started actually, I think, having my, my life and heart transformed by the Spirit. And I share this because I think every one of us needs to take a minute and consider our own faith and, and think about where are the areas of unbelief in my life. Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. This isn't something we can just assume, right? We need to actually think about these things. He says, test yourself, or do you not realize, it, realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the, text, the test. Excuse me. See, we, we can talk a lot about Jesus without really knowing him. And I think we can probably know this true. I can talk a lot about some people. I, you know, I follow the news. I follow the Oilers. I can talk a lot about these things, but I don't actually know those people. And so today, in order for us to examine our hearts, whether you would call yourself a believer, 
Or if you're just checking out Jesus in church, and, and listen, if you're just checking out Jesus in church, welcome. We're so glad to have you tuning in here. This is a place where we want to uh, be able to take questions and wrestle with these things. But wherever you are, we need to ask ourselves, what's, what's going on inside of me? What is it that's, that's happening in my heart when it comes to the idea of God? What am I surrendering? What am I hanging on to? What, what feelings and emotions and truths and, and understandings sort of well up when I start to think about the idea of God? As we're going to see in this text as well, we're going to see that we actually, uh, we all have the same problem. We are all broken. We are all fallen. We are all rebellious, and we all need new birth. We all need rebirth. We need to experience the Spirit's power coming into our life and making us new. And this only happens when we look at Jesus and recognize our need for him. So let me start reading for us uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And again, keep in mind that, that little transitional text we just read, that Jesus has told us that there's a group of people that have seen the signs, they believe in his name, but Jesus still knows what's in their hearts, okay? John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, th this is a respectful term, this is an honoring term, meaning teacher. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. And he says, we know. So he, in some sense, he's speaking not just for himself, he's not bringing his own questions, only his own questions, but he's, he's either officially or not kind of bringing the questions of the people to Jesus here. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, I think at this point, uh, Nick, I'm going to call him Nick. Nick is in kind of a good place. He calls Jesus teacher. He recognizing that there's something different about Jesus, that there's some authority in the words he speaks and the signs that he's done. He sees that, that God is with him. But what we really need to see is this, is, is who Nicodemus is. He's described for us as a Pharisee. And sometimes when we, in the 21st century, look back and read the text, whenever you see Pharisee, you think, dun, 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 dun. these guys are in trouble, Jesus is going to light them up. But the Pharisees, they were the most serious, earnest, Bible-believing groups of the day. He's a Bible guy. He was also a, a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was one of the leaders in the Jewish council, like one of the top 70 or so leaders in Judaism, in Jerusalem. And then in a few verses, we'll see that Jesus calls him the teacher of, the, of Israel, which means not only is, is he a Bible guy, that's a good start, not only is he one of these top 70 or so in Jerusalem, but he might be the top teacher. At worst, he's in the top three. That's a pretty solid place to be. He has quite the resume. And so as he comes and says, hey, we know these things, he might be one of the best representatives of the people to come and ask Jesus questions. And so in a way, you and I get to look at Nicodemus and recognize that he's a really good example for all of us. Many of us, whether we realize it or not, we're, we're religious by nature. You know, we read our Bibles, we attend a church gathering, or, or even if we're not a part of the the church where, you know what, we're good people and we do good things and so we're good. But here's the thing. If anyone in that day could earn their way into God's good books, it was Nicodemus. He had the right credentials, he had the right uh, titles, he had the right place of authority. And so we need to really pay attention to how he and Jesus uh, interact here because Jesus is going to help us see that it doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. We all need the same thing to be born again. It's also important that we see uh, Nicodemus come to Jesus at night. Now, there's a couple reasons why people think this is in the text here. Remember, uh, our writers, they don't waste words, so it's always significant, the details. Some say that maybe, maybe Nicodemus came at night because, you know, he was a little hesitant, he was a little uh, nervous, he was a little maybe ashamed to come to Jesus. Maybe. Other, others look at Nicodemus, and he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, and the evening at, at night, that's when they had their discussions. That's when they sat around, or gathered around tables or whatever, and they, they worked through these things. They taught, they, they challenged one another, they debated ideas. And so maybe that's why he comes at night. And both, again, both those things might be true. Maybe he was a little nervous. Maybe he was a little threatened by Jesus. Maybe it was just, this is the convenient time for me. This is when teachers talk, so let's go talk. But there's something even deeper going on here. Remember, one of the, the main themes in the Gospel of John that we saw in that prologue, remember John talked about, you know, light has come into the world. The darkness tried to overcome the light, but the, the light could not be overcome. So one of the main themes in John's gospel is day and night and, and light and darkness. And the, the reason John does this, he's, he's trying to infuse a spiritual situation with mystery and meaning. And so when we see that, that Nicodemus comes by night, yes, it just could be recording the hour, but what we're going to see is there's actually a spiritual darkness in Nicodemus. He's not seeing the light he, he's not seeing enough light. He thinks he knows. He comes and he thinks he knows. I'm a Pharisee. I'm one of the leaders. I'm the teacher. But he's got so much to learn. And so Jesus is going to reveal that spiritual darkness, that spiritual blindness in him. Maybe that's where we are today. We, we can see. We can see these ideas about Jesus, but we don't really see Jesus. We can see the signs. We can see Jesus working in maybe in us, definitely in others. We know some stuff, but we don't actually know and love the person of Jesus. Maybe we believe Jesus was just a, a great philosopher, a good teacher. Maybe we even think he was sent by God, but we don't yet grasp that Jesus is the Savior of the world, Lord of our lives, and treasure for us, sent to save our sins. And so we can all learn from good old Nick here. As we examine ourselves, we can look at, at what is that thing we've been trusting in? What's that thing or things that we've been putting our hope and confidence in to make us right with God? That thing, though, that's not Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, uh, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I, I like this. Maybe you, you saw this. Probably you did. Notice how Jesus or John starts verse 3 with, Jesus answered. Did Nicodemus ask a question yet? No, he hadn't. He'd just come and he was just kind of buttering Jesus up, wasn't he? Jesus, Rabbi, I, you're doing these things. You're so great. But Jesus knew all people, right? We read in chapter 2. He knew what was inside the person. So he's like, stop with the butter, Nick. Let's get to the point here. And so Jesus starts out canceling the, the butter, going right to the heart, and says, truly, truly. That, that word is, he's saying, amen, amen. When we close a prayer and we say, amen, when, when uh, you know, the preacher makes a good point and you say, amen, back, what we're saying is, I agree. Let that be so. Uh, make that happen. And so when Jesus starts a statement saying, truly, truly, or amen, amen, he's about to declare something. He's about to say, this is true. You need to pay attention to this. So he looks at 
Nicodemus, pillar of the community, all the right credentials, devout follower of God, and says, truly, truly, your works are not enough. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through being born again. It's through being, through rebirth. Now, I hope you can imagine the shock that would have been on Nicodemus' face here. Everything he's done, all the work he's put in, all the study he's put in, all the sacrifices he's made to get to that place, all the efforts, all the work he's done, he's done to be found acceptable by God. And Jesus says, you missed it. All that stuff is not enough. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something similar. And he says, for I tell you, he's teaching to everyone here, unless your righteousness, unless your good deeds, unless your good works exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They would have heard that as, how can I be better than Nicodemus? Nicodemus has done everything. And you want me to be better than that? Here's the point. Entrance to heaven, entrance to the kingdom of heaven is out of reach even for the most moral, upstanding, law-keeping person you know. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let me keep reading in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, look again, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, that's the born from your mother part, is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. As we read those few verses there, I think one of the key words is in verse 5 when Jesus says, unless. Right? He's just said, everything you do is not enough. But there's a way. This, this way is, is this new birth. And again, Nicodemus has to be reeling here. So much of what he believes, all that he's given his life to has been rocked. See, the Jews believed that it was their Jewishness that got them into heaven. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a child of Israel. I've, 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 I'm here. I'm good. And, and unless I'm, you know, there's some massive blasphemy or extreme wickedness, the Jews believed that it was their physical birth, their, their lineage that got them into heaven. But Jesus says the opposite. It's not good enough. Our, our sin, our rebellion against God keeps everyone out. And there's only one way in. I appreciate uh, Matt Carter's words here. He says, the spirit of God makes a person alive and new from the inside. This new birth, what Jesus is talking about here, happens when God's spirit animates the human spirit, making a person alive to the things of God. It's the total transformation of a person from the inside out. Nicodemus and the Pharisees had studied the Old Testament, but they missed what God said. God had always said that following external laws would never be enough for a person to enter his kingdom. What they needed was an internal transformation. And God had, had promised this a few places, many places in the Old Testament, through, through Moses, through the prophets, through Joel. But let me read uh, from the prophet Ezekiel where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean." I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. For all the things that Nicodemus knew, 
He missed it. He and, and so many like him were obsessed with keeping the rules, with keeping the outside clean, looking the part. Like Jesus went after that so many times in the New Testament. And I think whether we realize it or not, I think we all do this. We may not say it, but we, we think in our minds, you know what, if I, if I just clean myself up a little bit, then God will accept me. You know, I've done this in my past. I've gone this way. I've turned away. I, I've, I've got this mess. I've got this shame that's, that I'm carrying around like baggage. If I just deal with that, then God will love me. Even if you don't believe in God, you may sort of live by the same sort of idea. Where you say, if, I, if I just do enough good, whatever that looks like, if you don't have a moral framework that comes from God, if I just do enough good, then I'll find acceptance and meaning and purpose and value and, and salvation. I love how one writer pushes back on this. He says, you know what? God's not interested in your personal remodeling project. He wants to remake and reshape you from the inside. See, our problem is we, we keep making the mistake of thinking, listen, if, if our good just outweighs our bad, then I'm okay. But God's standard in the Bible is not more good than bad, is it? It's holiness. Be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. Matt Carter again says, we are all so far from perfect that we need so much more than just a little touch-up. We need to be made new. Our radical corruption from sin demands a radical redemption from God. We need a brand new rebirth. He's talking here about this, the idea, this theology of total depravity, saying it's not just that we're a little bit bad, and if we cut off the bad, we're good, but it's that every part of our lives has been corrupted by sin. And so we need radical redemption from God. We need new birth. Verse 7, Jesus continues and says, Don't marvel that I said to you, you have to be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. I love how Jesus starts to give a word picture here for us. You hear the wind sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's the good news. This, this rebirth, this is God's work. We can't force it. We can't earn it. We can't do anything about it, but God does it. It's his work. And that's why Jesus uses the wind as a point here. You and I actually can't do anything to make ourselves come alive spiritually. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 put it this way. He said, you were dead in your sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead, has made us alive together with Christ. There's not enough earning that we can do to overcome this. We can't keep enough rules. We can't give enough money. We can't attend enough gatherings. We can't memorize enough scripture. We can't be talented enough. We can't be good enough. The only way to be born again is for the Spirit of God to do his work in you. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, and I, I love this quote. He says, if you have in your heart today any affection for Christ at all, if, if the Lord is at work in you, if you are being renewed, if you're experiencing this rebirth, it's because God the Holy Spirit in his sweetness in his power, in his mercy, and in his grace, has been to the cemetery of your soul and raised you from the dead. The analogy of the wind, I think, proves helpful in another way, too. See, this, this new birth, this, this rebirth that Jesus is talking about, it's the sovereign work of God. God's in control of it. But it's also uh, an evident 
uh, an evident work of God's Spirit. We can see this happening. Yesterday, uh, when we were uh, at the trunk retreat at the Malcolm, the wind was blowing and we could feel it. It was blowing right through my Thor costume and I was frigid. Didn't know where it was coming from, didn't know where it was going, but there was evidence that w- the wind was there because when it kicked up, it was cold. And when the s- wind of the Spirit blows, you don't necessarily know where it's coming from, where it's going, but you can tell, you can feel it. There's, there's unmistakable evidence of the Spirit blowing in our lives. Verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, here's his title. Are you, not the teach- or are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He goes on and says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one is ascended to heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's really interesting, I think, in this passage where Nicodemus asks the questions. He's still reeling. He's still thinking earthly thoughts. He can't seem to quite wrap his head around what all Jesus is, is saying. Understandably, I think, we can give Nicodemus some grace there. But remember how he opened his dialogue with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know this stuff about you. And Jesus says here, hey, I say to you that we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen and you don't receive our testimony. Jesus is already hinting and foreshadowing and, and speaking as though there is a new covenant community forming. And he's treating Nicodemus as one of the old Jewish community that would reject Jesus, that would reject this church, the new church's testimony as it comes. After these words of Jesus, Nicodemus kind of disappears from the scene. We won't see him again until chapter 7 and then again in chapter 19. So as you read through the book of John, keep an eye for him when we get to those places. As we, as we come towards a close, let me say this. The, the first piece of evidence of our rebirth, of one's rebirth, is belief in Jesus. That, that single, unmistakable sign of a new birth is faith in Jesus. It's not a respect for Jesus. It's not just acknowledging that that Jesus is a good teacher or that he showed up at a party and did some signs. It's not just understanding that God must have been with Jesus because Nicodemus did that. But it is a wholehearted faith in Jesus. It's believing in every word he said and committing everything to him, not holding anything back. I love how one writer says, when the spirit blows, we don't find toppled trees like the wind can do, but we find toppled doubts. The Spirit uproots the forest of skepticism skepticism, and of self-reliance that grows in our hearts, and the Spirit plants seeds of faith. And those grow, and that's the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. Let me wrap up uh, with this bit of summary from our text and the analogy that uh, Matt Carter put in his commentaries. I think it's helpful, so I'll just read it for us. He reminds us of this. At one point, Chuck Colson was one of the most hated men in America. He was part of the Nixon White House. He was sent to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. And when he got out of prison, though, he wrote a book called Born Again. And in the book, he claimed to have have had his life radically transformed by Jesus. People were skeptical, but eventually their skepticism faded as they watched Colson devote his life to teaching the Bible in prisons around the world. 
So it doesn't matter if you're morally blameless like Nicodemus or morally compromised like Chuck Colson. You may think you're really, really good or you may think you're really, really bad. But no matter who you are, when you stand before the God of heaven, the only thing that will matter is whether or not the Spirit of God has transformed you from the inside out. What Nicodemus thought was a title of honor. I'm a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. I'm the teacher of Israel. It was actually a stumbling block that kept him from God because he had put his faith in those things. So the question for us is, what's keeping you from being born again? What's, what's holding you back? Because someday we will all stand before Jesus and he'll ask to see our, our credentials. We can't just say I was a Pharisee, teacher of the, teacher of the Jews. We can't bluff him, we can't trick him, we can't impress him with anything we've done. The only thing that matters is whether the Spirit, whether Jesus has transformed us from the inside out and whether he has made us new. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this text. And again, there's, there's so much here. I pray that you continue to speak to us through it, through these verses. Jesus, thank you that, uh, that you know our hearts that you know what we're like, that you, you, you see our brokenness, that you see our shame, you see the, the areas that we struggle and the work that we have left to do. But uh, the, the, as we used before, you don't look at us and you don't try and return us. You came, you, you died for us in spite of all the mess in our lives. Thank you that you understand us. Thank you that you understand that we have this, this fleshly, earthly pride in us to try to earn our way to you. And yet, you can still overcome that and say, no, no, put that aside and come to me. Come to me. I'll give you the rest. I will give you new birth. Holy Spirit, as we pray through this text, as we've heard from this text, I ask that you would do a work in our heart, that you would reveal the things in our lives that we are trusting in instead of you. Reveal the, the, the areas of unbelief or the, the idols in our lives that are, that are actually hindering us from coming and worshiping. Give us the courage to, to confess and give those to you and to, to even share them with someone else so that we can uh, spur one another on and encourage one another towards faith and love and good deeds. Jesus, thank you that you came and you walked this earth as we do. You are tempted in every way, but you remain fully obedient to your Father that you are sinless and that uh, even though you didn't deserve it, you went to the cross to die for our sins that you went and you, you paid the price for all the ways that we have hung on to unbelief, all the ways that we have rebelled against God. And thank you that you didn't just die there, but three days later you rose from the grave to become the, the, to show us the new temple, to conquer our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death so that we can have this new birth, that the Holy Spirit can work in us through you and we can be made new. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.